Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy and proponent of corners and horror film aficionado, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. I've already forgotten what the reference is for that. That was a, that was a reply to us, wasn't it? Um... It was from Joshua Ralston. And yes, it was in response to a tweet you made. Oh, yeah, because this was about Everton. You, you said you enjoyed it, and, and Bardi said it was horrifying, and I said... Uh, as the deciding vote, so <laughs> they're both right, you know, people enjoy horror films. Just to, just to clarify, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I was enjoying it until we lost. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't enjoy the, the, the final nail in the coffin. But uh, yeah, we'll come, we'll come on to, we'll come on to um, Everton, because Bardi and I have already had a ta- chance to talk about it, but Nathan, you've, we've not had your thoughts. Before we jump into football stuff, though, um, just to say that we're running a special offer on our Patreon. So we are offering an annual membership with a 16% discount, Mm. which brings it down to about a fiver a month, which I think is um, pretty reasonably priced for for what you get compared to other patrons. I mean, we we think we're we're putting out a lot of good content, uh, the latest of which was a fantastic video that Nathan produced and released 2am Saturday morning <laughs> on on Julian. I didn't know it was Julian. Julian Nagelsmann. Well, uh, we don't really, the, really um, enjoyable. We don't have the, the German sounds. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I hadn't done, I haven't done a manager before, so I was sort of finding, finding my feet as I went. And as I, as I said at the beginning of the video, like, um, there's already a lot of good stuff out there and there's no point in me just like reading six articles and then repackaging mm-hmm. that as my only idea. So I tried to sort of say, here's what's already out here and then here are some more examples of that and here's some other stuff and here's sort of a more of a look at Spurs. And I watched uh, our two games uh, with him in the Champions League last season, two quite different games um, and explained sort of the ideas going on there. Uh, yeah, I I, I, uh, I really fancy him in every sense of the of the word. He's um, he's He's the hottest... Young talent in, in management, and today in the Athletic, apparently there are there are some 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 murmurings around interest in him. But then I think that essentially every top club is interested in him, mm-hmm. and he will once again because uh, he turned down Real Madrid in the past. Uh, he will want to get have the pick of those. I think he turned down Real Madrid because he sort of said later, essentially. So um, whether whether Spurs are um, a middleman between um you know leipzig and the top three clubs in the world uh is down to down to him i guess so i i really like the video and i I, my key takeaway without spoiling it for people is his um instruction not to feed the wingbacks immediately but to Mm. move it centrally and then hit the wingbacks i thought that was pretty good and yeah i'm quite excited about the possibility of a minor manager Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, if that video <laughs> sounds attractive to you, um, our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. It's linked also on our Twitter account uh, and probably all of our Twitter accounts and our website, theextrainch.co.uk. So have a look. Uh, consider signing up. I've had lots of sign-ups these past few weeks, which has been lovely. Um, the, the community is growing. The content is, is still being churned out on a regular basis. If you've been thinking of hitting the button and, and haven't quite got around to it yet, then maybe the discount is enough to sort of tip you over the edge and we'd love to have you on board. Um, it's been a lot of fun doing this. Um, also, one other thing to add before we get into talking about the Man City match. Uh, we had a little bit of um, 
or rather I had a bit of backlash about comments about Mourinho in the last episode. It's interesting. So whenever I mention, whenever I sort of say I'm fed up with Mourinho, get him out. I get I get people comment, contacting me saying, like, I'm so glad you've said it. And then I get people saying, why are you saying this? You know, we need people <laughs> to unite behind the football club. And, you know, you're an influential uh, podcaster and you're sort of turning people against the club. And I, and I feel like, I mean, firstly, when that's, it's nice that people think we're influential, but we're really not. Um, <laughs> it's, it's nice to, for people to sort of say that kind of thing for the sake of my ego. Um but we, honestly, we're just being we're being true to ourselves. You know, we're three people with different opinions on Spurs. I mean, Bardi, for one, is is staunchly Mourinho in and very supportive of him. Mm. Oh, oh, is he wavering? Is he wavering? Oh my goodness! Is the picnic blanket being packed up? No, no, no. I'm not wavering, but um, I think um, I still I stand behind Mourinho. Not. No, not perhaps quite as much as Mourinho the man, but I just don't want us. We spoke about this in the Q and A. I don't want us to tank, and I would rather us not destroy the end of the season, but actually come out the season with something good. And if that is with Mourinho, then I, I can't, I can't, I don't want him out because getting him out now means we're going to have to go on a run of seriously bad results, and we just destroy any any opportunity that we've got, we've got right now. So I'm. Mourinho in because Mourinho out means this season is just going to fall away into into the abyss, and I, I really don't want. And and I sort of feel the opposite, and I sort of feel like the only way we we sort of stem the tide is by getting him out as soon as possible and and start to plan and look forward. But the point I was going to make is that I'm not saying this to be a disruptor to sort of cause trouble to to um to, to sort of deliberately stymie our progress because I don't like the man Jose Mourinho. I'm saying this stuff because I think it's in the best interests of our club and I and I've, I love this club so much you know I've given 30 years of my life I'm 37 years old now for 30 years of my life I've been so dedicated to supporting Spurs and I wouldn't I wouldn't like do this for the sake of it like I, I genuinely think that's what's best for our club um so unfortunately you are probably gonna have to put up with it for a little while longer I hope that we offer enough balance and you know it, tactical intrigue in our podcast for you to stick with us I realize that it's not pleasant if you if you don't think that he should leave to listen to two-thirds of, of our panel saying get him out to be honest we tried to keep it to a minimum as much as possible and Nathan and I have bitten our tongue a lot <laughs> we really have and I know it probably doesn't seem like it but we really really have um, but that's where we are and we've got to be true to ourselves we've got to be honest we've got to wear our hearts on the sleeve a bit because that's what football's all about isn't it it's about it's about being a fan being passionate and uh, and allowing your emotions to run free how do you think what do you think Nathan uh, in the words of Peep Show's Mark Corrigan I'm just a man <laughs> A man shouting at clouds, right? <laughs> screaming, screaming into the sky, ranting aimlessly. Indeed. Um, so on to, on to the football matters. So we'll start with Man City. Um, and we'll start what we always do with the team selection. There were some surprises, actually. Uh, Buddy, what do you think? Tanganga at right back. Yeah, that was a surprise. Um, Aurier, we, we saw on Instagram, didn't even travel. Um, I, I didn't realise he was that badly injured. We, we suspect that he might be after West Brom. Um, Doherty, uh, Doherty didn't do great against Everton, so I can understand going for a more defensive option there. And I, I, I think Tanganga did okay. I think he, I think he stood stood tall and did did all right if you compare him to the rest of the backline. And Lucas and Lamella started again. Nathan, did you did you see that as a particular tactical plan, or was it simply mm. that they're the informed attacking midfielders? Uh, I mean, I'm not even sure that they're the informed attacking midfield. Maybe Lamella is to an extent, but like it's uh, okay. Separate the Lucas Lamella thing, which is like um, we went through an extended phase at this club where it's like, and it's easier to accept. It, it was easier to accept sort of afterwards. And Mourinho's been pretty forthright about it. it. Was like, look, frankly, Lucas Moura isn't the most creative brilliant player at this club but he works really hard he jumps twice his height every time the ball is in his area he challenges hard every duel he tracks back so I had to play him to get us through that run of form and 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 in the period of time where Lucas Moura was back at the team you can sort of go oh well yeah I, I guess I sort of I guess that's fair at least now Bergvine is is in the team and I'm feeling a lot more better and then like the second anything goes wrong it's time to let Lucas Moura back out his cage and run about and it's it's kind of oh okay we're back, we're back to this again and Lamella I, I like Lamella a lot of people like Lamella a lot of people don't like Lamella um you know 
again, it's a similar kind of thing is that the energy is there, the energy in possession and out of possession, the, the headlessness. Um, and there's some creativity with Lamella too, but it's, it's, it's always sort of trying to force the issue uh, through Lamella. I, I, I also think specifically for this game, it ties into the fullback options because, okay, yes, I accept that, that Regulon is out. I accept that Aurea is is not uh, in favour. I accept that Doherty is having a pretty bad season, first season at the club. But when you end up with Dyer and Davinson and Davies and Tanganga, um, plus two sort of, if we can call them defensive wingers, to me it says, here are all of the things that I've done so that I can play in Dombele in a midfield two. Or, you know, in a midfield four. Here are all of the defensive selections. Here are four centre-backs and two defensive wingers playing full-back. Also, Ndombele can receive the ball deep, hope to break the pressure, uh, find Kane, find Son. That, to me, is sort of the mentality specific to this game around that lineup. Interesting. So it's purely mitigation, essentially. Um, we had a question from Ryan Forsyth, who contacted us via our website's contact form. So Ryan said, was the City game perfect proof that Mourinho's ideas are outdated? A team waiting for the opposition to make a mistake against a team that now, through modern football coaching, doesn't make mistakes. And Bardi, we're pretty much playing City at the worst time possible. They're in peak form. Mm. Um, what did you think our approach was about? Well, I think at the moment, it's not just us. The Premier League seems to be mistake heavy. If you if you just glance across pretty much every game that's going on, there's mistakes everywhere. There's there's something not happen there's something happening at every single club each week where you can pinpoint something. Obviously our club it seems to happen a little bit more and we're very tuned in to what's happening at Spurs. Um I think I think City have been incredible and the way that they've the way that they've coped without having a striker, I mean, Jesus is on the pitch, but he's non-existent. The way they've coped without a striker, the way they've shuttled between three, yes, incredibly expensive centre-backs has been has been impressive. And just the way they control the game and the way they move us left, right, and they keep going back and they recycle the play. They they were brilliant. And at, earlier on in the season, they looked to be pretty boring. If that is, if you know what I mean, in that that boring and just like, like Spain were almost in, in 2010 when they won the World Cup, that they've just got the ball, but they've got no cut in cutting edge but now out of nowhere Gundogan has scored like more goals this season than he had in his previous three and they've just they've found a knack of winning these games whereas the rest of the Premier League is just pressing self-destruct all the time I don't know whether this is Mourinho being outdated or just our players being a little bit outdated I think it's probably a combination of Mourinho falling off and our players falling off and Nathan what did you think our strategy was to sort of cope with with City's dominance and Hmm. what what was the plan when we had the ball well this is is the thing I was talking uh about this with my friend Nico Nico is a um I was going to say he's a City fan but he's a he's a former City fan who's sort of uh grown out of love with sort of supporting a a slave regime essentially so anyway he has an interest in City and and we were speaking about like um you have to. The onus is on the defensive side to do something different in their in their defensive setup to come up, and you know. And this is what I said: is that okay? Yeah, last time we sort of unveiled our new six-man defensive line, our four plus two, where the fullbacks stay wide and the central midfielders drop into the channels. Last time we came with a defensive plan, and okay, maybe we got a little uh, lucky with finishing. If you look at the expected goals, but I. I still maintain that we did a pretty decent job of keeping the city somewhat restricted. Uh, and that gave that, you know, keeping, and this is something to talk about as well, keeping the game state even opens mm. up those chances for us to counterattack. Now, City have changed their structure and improved their counterpressing since that, that game. So they're going to be, they're going to be better out of possession. Um, but it, again, it seems like the defensive plan was to play seven defensively focused players and then let the rest sort of work its way out from there and uh, I just don't think that is that is enough anymore as, as sort of Ryan points out in the question he also says uh, it's a good question but he also says um, that City through modern coaching don't make mistakes but they do they make they make hundreds of mistakes every game and that's sort of the point is that like as Barty is saying football is so mistake heavy it's getting more yeah. mistake heavy if anything but the way City set up is that you can make mistakes 
and then they win the ball again and then you make another mistake and then they win the ball again and you try and you try and you try and you try these sort of maybe slightly low percentage moves uh, or you sort of you try to hang on for the box uh, tried to hang on to the ball in the box for what would previously have been considered too long in, in in an earlier stage of football because if the move falls short you just try again you try again you try again and you break teams down that way and that's the way the man city play with, with immense creativity so it, it's not that city are are free from mistakes it's that they are set up to afford making mistakes whereas we aren't in the way that we play really well that I mean, was sorry go on buddy yeah I, I also think on city this is it's, it's weird because this is probably the 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 least creative man city team if you if you look at it there's no de bruyne there's no sane so in a, it, those that kind of explosiveness that they used to have but what they have is is cancelo foden sterling who are incredible ball carriers and sterling uh, Sterling especially, they they just cause panic. And Mourinho m- spoke about it, the modern penalty. And I think what we see from, from Man City against Liverpool and then again against Spurs is that they, they're tempting defenders into, into challenges and they're, they're using that to crack games. And they're just very good. I mean, it's a really simple thing to say and it's quite a ridiculous thing to say if you're on a podcast talking about football, but they are very good and Cancelo has been... <laughs> yeah, I know, but he, he they are just what exactly they do. It's they are making mistakes, but they're so small and they're so far away from their own goal that mm. it's that unless you've got Kane picking up the ball and whacking it over the top to Sun, you you can afford to make those mistakes all game. Whereas our mistakes happen pretty much in the 18 yard box, and you're so close to goal, we're punished every single time. Uh, but saying that, until we had made until Schuyberg made his second penalty of, in a week, City hadn't really done an, an awful lot. It was it was kind of almost heading the way that we we won the previous game at White Hart Lane. I was reasonably confident. Well, that's in a bit of a lie because I knew we'd screw it up eventually but I was I was kind of happy of how we were playing kind of happy mm, um, in, interestingly that was um, Pochettino's philosophy in his early to mid years at Spurs that we would keep trying things and win the ball back when it didn't work out and uh, there, there were lots of sort of early forward passes that weren't successful but mm. the, the, the counter press was so good uh, that it didn't matter but but of course now we, we can't play that way because we're set up in such a way that you, you can't afford to make those same mistakes because you don't have enough of the ball to, to justify it so everything has to work perfectly yeah. um, uh, I thought City as, as Barney points out were just really really impressive Cancelo is in ridiculous form I mean Gundogan's getting all of the plaudits and rightly so his goal scoring is exceptional but Cancelo's form is insane he pretty much does everything well his decision making is that of a sort of 35 year old veteran who has just been playing in the top leagues for over a decade and yet he's still what mid-20s something like that mm-hmm. um really really impressive fullback come hold midfielder come box-to-box midfielder come attacking midfielder he's he's very very good um yeah, we were struggling in our in our defensive channels between the fullback and the centre back, an area that City were enjoying exploiting over and over again, and that was where the penalty came from. I've seen some, I've seen some attempted defence of the the, the the challenge that Huibier made, saying that oh, Gundogan trod on Huibier first. Yeah, maybe mm. you, you actually agree with that, Nathan? Yeah, but I also don't really care. Like. <laughs> City battered us, and 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 the penalty call is largely irrelevant. Like I used to really care about penalty calls either way. Like back under Harry Redknapp, back under Andre Villas-Boas, I would really care. And then and then we got better, and we would blow teams away with five goals. And also Kyle Norton would get kicked in the face by the <laughs> Newcastle fullback and not get sent off. And you go, oh, that is something that would have changed the direction of the game <laughs> yeah. before we we became a very good side. And I think they're very good sides. Okay, you're still going to have close games, especially against Man City. But I just think that penalty is not given or that foul is given and City continue to batter us for the rest of the game regardless. So to, to discuss that penalty as much as we already have done is to, is is mm. poor analysis. Fine. Yeah, completely, completely agree with uh, the logic there. Uh, it definitely was a penalty. But I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I, I fundamentally disagree with the concept that um, that Gundogan trod on Huibier and therefore it should have been a free kick to Spurs. I, I think if you watch the incident rather than just watching the frame, <laughs> yeah, the, it's the quite single clear. frame choice is is is, 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 a, is a whole different conversation. It's yes. absurd. I mean, yeah, 
I don't know why Spurs fans go down that route because we hate it when Liverpool fans mm-hmm. do it. It's 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 absurd. Let's not do that anymore, please. <laughs> that would be good. Um, really frustrating second half. So we we brought on Sissoko for <laughs> Lucas at halftime. Uh, presumably the idea was to sort of try yeah. and free up Ndombele in some way. Uh, not good. We just got worse. Um, well, and we, City got better. I, he didn't get the ball anymore, essentially. We moved him forward. So whether it was a case of we wanted Ndombele freer in an attacking sense or whether we stopped trusting him defensively, it sort of doesn't matter because <laughs> you've got your four centre-backs. You've got, OK, now you've only got one of your two defensive wingers. You've got your number eight who can only yeah. really defend. You've got your number 10 who's spent most of his career playing as number eight and you still concede... <laughs> a bunch of chances to City so and then like because Sissoko's taken over that that number eight role that's the last time we progressed the ball with Steve <laughs> yeah. the last time we saw Harry Kane someone sent me a, a tweet or a, a DM or something saying Kane's Kane's had a poor game and I said well we, I've not the ball has not been in the opposition half so like what, what do you want him to do you know so yeah um yeah, that, and that, that was the game, basically. The, the one bit of excitement remaining was Gareth Bale's footwork oh, on yeah, the edge of the City box, nice. which genuinely um, was impressive. And sort of, it, it does make you sort of double take and think, blimey, he has still got it. He's still got something. And Little sparks. I don't think we will necessarily tap into it at Spurs. And uh, well, the I more think... I think about it, the more I think that his, his loan will probably end at the end of the season and that'll be it. But there's something there still. But especially off the bench, I really think off the bench is mm. is the role for him. Rather than starting him in cup games, obviously you want to try and get that fitness. But I was I would I would have him doing sprints in training, you know, moderate yeah. intensity yeah, sprints, yeah. and then and then play twenty minutes um, at the end of at the end of league games. I think that that's you know think about his chance against West Ham, his goal against Brighton, that chance against City. Okay, he did pretty well against uh, Wickham as a starter, mm-hmm. uh, but otherwise he, he's best off coming off the bench. And so that's 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 which is not surprising when you have like a a thirty two year old former zippy winger. The best way to use them is in is in short stints. So whatever. Um. So. We've already recorded a segment on the Everton match, which we're going to play you in a, in a minute. But uh, the reason we did this is it's getting really quite difficult with the frequency of matches to sort of remember the detail. I know it sounds really stupid, but post-match, you, you kind of feel like you can talk about it and have a, a really detailed conversation about it and and get all that information out. Uh, when you then watch another game, the, the most recent one just fills your brain and it becomes very difficult to remember specific incidents. So Bardi and I got together pre-City and had a chat about Everton, which we'll play you now. Okay, so Bardi, we're talking on Friday, and so I imagine having had a day or two to calm down, this conversation is a bit different to how it might have been on Wednesday. Uh, you were quite upset post-match. Yeah, I was. I was very angry about it. I think, I think because a lot of people, including your reaction, was well, wasn't that fun? Was haven't we got our Tottenham back? And I was a little bit like, but we're out the cup here and you know the FA Cup is is important all the trophies at the moment are important and we're out of it so no I'm I'm not happy that we that we went out and it doesn't matter how much fun I had during the game or if if it's perceived as fun for me it's not but the ultimate thing is we lost the match and um yeah and we're out of the cup no I, I I appreciate that and I must say by the end of the match it definitely felt a lot less fun and the reason I was having fun during it though is because we were actually attacking with some verve and some style and it felt like we had a we had a plan and we were committing players forward and I think a lot of that was just because we had Lamella on the pitch to be honest I, th- I thought he was really impressive um Lucas too you know not always my favorite player but I thought he did a pretty good job in this game um were you surprised by the tactical plan? You know, playing playing essentially Son, Bergwijn, Lamella and Lucas and giving them a lot more freedom than what we've seen in previous weeks? Um, I was surprised, but the surprise didn't last long because I think we're maybe 45 seconds into the game. Yeah. And I don't know whose kickoff, maybe it was our kickoff. And we, we broke through two of their lines and we were immediately on their back four. And I was just like, oh. Okay, so I was surprised at how we played, but then it was just like, okay, this is really good. We were creating chances, and I don't think there's a problem with how we played. How we played attacking wise, it was great, but mm. I still don't think 
I don't think the problem came from that game from the we were open. I still don't believe it was like Jose's decided just to attack now. I think we he maybe allowed us to attack a little bit more, but I don't know. I don't think we defended any less. I just think we defended worse, if you see what I mean. That we we didn't set up to be defensive, but we were still had a solid base there. We had our back four with with Davies and Doherty, who's not the most adventurous of, of fullback either. And I think we were set up to defend. It's just we proved ourselves unable to defend. Um, yeah, ultimately, it was a bit like a a food fight in your kitchen, which is a hell of a lot of fun while it's happening. You're you're chucking things around, you're having a great old time, but then everybody goes home and you're left with, I don't know, like Brussels sprouts behind the sofa and and cream cake up on the fridge and it's just it's a mess. And that's that's how I feel right now. I, I'm sweeping up bits of rank vegetables and juices <laughs> and everything. I love how it always comes back to food. <laughs> Of course. A, bit, a bit of boiled chicken uh, in in the in the poof. <laughs> a little boiled chicken in, in between in between two of your cushions on the duvet that you're gonna that I'm gonna stumble upon when I watch Man City. <laughs> um, I, I completely appreciate what you're saying, and you know, for for once, I I I'm not gonna blame Mourinho for this at all. I I, I feel mm. like. Okay, no, I will. I will give him a little bit of blame because I felt like the subs were pretty poor. But aside from yeah. the substitutions, I thought he got the approach bang on. You know, I thought I, I thought he 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 factored most things in against an Everton team missing Alan, who's you know their best mm. defensive midfield player. Um, he he got the balance right. We were really exciting to watch. We came out well on top in expected goals. However, huh, so many defensive mistakes and. You know, I've been I've been saying for for weeks really that when they're when these individual defensive mistakes keep cropping up, they stop being individual defensive mistakes and start becoming systemic mistakes. In this game, I think there's a difference because mm. there were some howlers, there were some real howlers, and from players that you don't expect it from. So Huey Bier made a couple of of poor errors. I thought one which led directly to a goal, you know, one which was. A penalty, albeit you know, it's it's a it's a tough penalty to call to take because it's completely accidental. But he does kind of trip someone up on, in the area, and then Larice, uh, your your recent favourite, uh, Larice, had a bit of a nightmare. And then Harry Winks, you know, um, an absolute horror show of a of a cameo from Harry Winks. So I'm willing to sort of forgive Mourinho for what happened in this match and say yes. In, on this occasion, I think you can put it down to the players. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. If it's a systemic issue, like our line is too high, our players can't keep a back line, or we're failing to press the ball, then 100% that's on Jose. But Lloris, Lloris should have saved three of those goals, at least. Um, I thought his positioning on Richarlison's and, and Bernard's winner was poor on both of them. He was overcompensating for a fear of being beaten at his near post, and it went across him too easy. He, he, yeah, he just didn't, he didn't stand, he didn't face the ball up. Uh, but you know, it's been a weird thing about Lloris. Lloris, historically, you can go back and look at goals which go across him, across his left hand, and he does let in that goal quite often. There's one mm. that sticks in my head now, um, I think it was Martial at Old Trafford a while ago, that goes across him. Across the other side, across his right, he's much stronger. There's a famous save against Palace and other examples, but he does get beaten quite often across his left. Um and the other, the other defensive mistakes were, I think, the allowing Richarlison and Bernard, Bernard to get through were perhaps tiredness. But I, I don't. I'm going to protect him a little bit on the substitutions. I think Endombele had to go off just in terms of just protecting him. I don't think he'd got he'd taken a nasty knock earlier on, and perhaps he couldn't go on. He couldn't carry on. I think um, who was the other substitute? Who came off? Who came off for Winks? Winks was Endombele, yeah. Yeah, Sissoko came on at right back. So, so yeah, the Sissoko right back is a weird one, but perhaps Doherty was broken and he needed to be replaced as well. I I admired him putting Delhi on. I didn't think Delhi played great. I think he's escaped a lot of criticism as well. Um, so he, at least he's trying to get Delhi back in. But it's just one of these games that just could have been. It could have been. It should have. It should have been. So we should be sitting here today talking about an attacking Tottenham that created a shitload of chances, smashed XG, and. Mourinho took the handbrake off. That's what we should be talking about. But unfortunately, some of these individuals we still have in this team are are not allowing that to happen. So let's talk a little bit more about Harry Winks because he was mm. the one who, you know, for all the mistakes of other players, he had one of the worst cameos, bless him, I think I've ever seen from a Spurs player. Um, 
and, and someone has actually made a compilation video of it, which I think is a particularly shitty thing to do for one of your own players, to be honest. But uh, it was really bad. And I, I mean, I've often defended Winks in the past. Not that I think Winks is a world beater. I really don't. I think he's a, he's a, a decent squad player and nothing more than that. Um, there was no defending this performance. Poor first touches. You know, one of the things you'd normally say about Winks is that he's very neat and tidy in possession. He receives the ball well, he keeps it safe and he passes it on, he moves it on quickly. This time, his first touch was all over the place, getting away from his body. He tried a roulette on one occasion and it went straight to a, like an Everton player who was right next to him. It was awful. His passing was bad. He had that terrible shot, which I think was like one of our last bright moments in the match where he put it miles wide. Yeah, He just had a complete nightmare. Um, where are you on, on Winks now? Sometimes with players who've been out of the team, they, they come on and they try to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, like historically, Holtby was that kind of guy that he was trying to get in the first team and he would just to keep he would just keep attempting to do something magical. Sometimes we've seen it with Delhi where he's just trying to produce that killer pass. But the weird thing is there was just a fundamental breakdown in, in his body skills, in his footballing skills. And I, I don't know where that leaves him as a as a footballer now at, at at Tottenham. Is he is he that broken that we'll never see him again play? Because I I I can't trust him. Winks has always been in his early career. He used to come on for Dembele quite a bit and just help us see out games and keep things neat and tidy. But if he's unable to keep things tidy, then what's his purpose? Mm. Um, it's it's sad because I I don't have in any ill feeling towards Winks. He's a he's a lovely academy player that's come through our system and. We should be we should be really proud of the fact that he's an England international and everything else. But he just there's going backwards and then there's just living life in reverse. He's, he's something has happened to him, and I I, I don't think he, I don't think he gets rescued at Tottenham anytime soon. Certainly not under Mourinho. I feel like no. uh, you can see Winks is when he's given some interviews recently. He's he's come across as very frustrated by his lack of playing time. Um, but then equally, when you see him play like that in the minutes he does get, I mean, why would Mourinho bring him back in? There's just absolutely no evidence to say that he'd be an improvement on anyone in the team. Um, one thing I did want to touch on was how much better our attacking play looked with um, Ndombele in the midfield. You know, midfield two in front of a back four. Um, I think that makes such a big difference to our team. It, it, it allows us to have another player in the team who's very much focused on progressing the ball quickly. Um, next game, obviously, is, is Man City, and I'm sure in, in the podcast we'll be talking about how the City game went. And I'm fully expecting Sissoko to come back in. But did you did you sort of feel comfortable with Ndombele in that midfield pivot? Yeah, of course. Um, I feel comfortable with him taking the ball in tight situations in his own half. I feel comfortable with him breaking breaking the press and being surrounded by Everton players. Um, I think our players also feel comfortable the fact that they know that he can beat that press and open up attacking possibilities. And I think Lamella is um, is really benefit benefiting from having a competent player who can pass the ball into him. Um, I think ideally for me that Lamella swaps out at some point for Delhi, and then we have Delhi collecting the ball in that in that pocket of space that um, Endombele creates. That that would be great. That would be great to see. Yeah, I I fully agree. Although I think Lamella in the last couple of games has has done really well, and yeah, I mean neither of us are sort of Lamella enthusiasts in terms of our long term future. But hmm. while we've got him, let's let's absolutely make the most of him. And he, he has these hot streaks. We've got to ride them while we can. He looked really good against Everton. And the other player I thought had one of his strongest games of the season was Bergvine. Uh, mm. It felt to me as though his role in this match was different to his usual role, where he's playing quite a defensive winger role and sort of putting in the hard yards and helping to defend. He seemed like he was let off the leash in this one and he was able to attack with a bit more freedom. And although he didn't get a goal, he came he came pretty close to getting a goal. I liked what I saw from Bergvine and it gave me a lot of encouragement about the player that we've got there and the potential for him to kind of break out of this box uh what do you think does he just go back to playing this defensive winger role or or did he give you signs of what's to come I thought he looked really nice and tidy in possession there was really nice combinations along the left hand side which actually involved Ben Davies but Mm. Schoenberg as well and Dombele they really some nice combinations there I we know Bergvine is technically a very good player. He's got everything that we want in a in a wide player that Lucas doesn't have. Um, I just think we just need to be a little bit patient. These players they they go they go through 
kind of spurts of form here and there. I I think we'll see some. I think I think we'll see a little bit more from him. He's he is just a goal here or there mm. away from having a pretty decent season. Had he taken away, had he taken one of those chances away at Liverpool, we'd be having a total different conversation. The whole narrative switches around Bergwijn. I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's a good player, and I'm happy that he's in our squad. Um, just touching on Lamella. It's it's weird because when we see a a fit and able Lamella, you look at him and you go, he's an excellent addition in our squad. But then, because he has this ability just to create amnesia in your head, and you forget that he's disappeared, he doesn't play for like two months, and then when he's back, you're like, ah. And I think that will always be the flaw in Lamella that he can't put these, he can't he can't keep fit consistently enough to make him a, a useful squad player because he does have a lot of talent. Mm. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, okay, so we'll leave it there. And so we've not got Nathan's thoughts on Everton just yet. Uh, what I'll do is I'll ask you a question. This is from David Holland. This was post-Everton. So David said, Was last night's 5-4 loss better than a one-all draw with, say, Fulham? I actually watched all 120 minutes rather than getting distracted and doing other things with football as a background. And secondly, can you explain Jose's subbing strategy? It baffles me more than anything. We bring on Winks for Ndombele when we needed a goal. So many of his lack of or just plain old odd subs have got me confused over the last year. Is there any logic to it? So Nathan, was um, in any way the 5-4 loss to Everton better than a one-all draw with Fulham? Yeah, in terms of, of entertainment, if, if that, you know, it depends what matters to you most individually and it's not for me to dictate how you are to perceive football but if if enjoyment matters to you and obviously you're not going to have that as a constant thing sometimes you're gonna you know if we're pushing for first place in the league you just want the win and if we're sort of been terrible for weeks and you can't bear watching us anymore then maybe you're more interested in a bit of entertainment than, than getting a point at home to Fulham or whatever um you you got to see some Spurs players combine in attacking ways, and I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, hold it against any Spurs fan who enjoyed that game, even though we come away uh, knocked out the competition. So uh, subs, I mean, the thing is, like Mourinho wants to change things with his subs, right? That's always that's often the idea with him, rather than. Uh, what is becoming more and more typical at the high strength of management is that simply y- you make maintaining kind of changes with like for like subs and the, the main focus is fitness. This player mm. ha- can only play 60 minutes. This player needs 20 minutes, etc. All that kind of stuff. Um, with Mourinho, he's more interested in, in using the variety of options to make changes. And changes are risks. And, and sometimes um, sometimes Ndombele and Eriksen are going to come off the bench several times last season and get us results, turn losses into draws, turn losses into wins, or at least really push the point for the final 15, 20 minutes of the game. And sometimes you're going to bring on Winks for Ndombele because the game is chaotic and you think it needs someone who's just going to keep the ball and keep it neat and, and control the game and slow the tempo a little bit. And instead he drops maybe the worst first performance I've seen for, what, five years, ten years? Really just chaos. And you you can't, there's no one could have predicted, okay, people will say they predicted that because they have a specific hatred of Harry Wings. But he's never played that badly for us before. Not on his debut, not on his his worst night as he played like that before. And you can't really sort of account for that. The, you, you bring in a slow tempo controlling player to a fast paced game and either he's going to slow the game down for you or the pace is going to be too much for him and he's just going to lose every single ball, which is what happened. The other thing, of course, is that we're so reliant on Ndombele. Sure. Um, I mean, we can't we can't do anything without him, essentially, at the moment. He's so crucial to make the system work. Um, but we can't play him for every minute of every match. It's not it's not helpful for our long-term prospects to do that. He has mm. to have a rest. You have to try and kind of wrap him in cotton wool to some degree. And so Mourinho's dandy does damned if he doesn't in a way because if he kept Ndombele on and he pulled a hamstring we'd have been bemoaning the fact that he'd have yep. he kept him on so so I get it I, I completely understand it um Bardi I can see you're waiting patiently there with your hand up 
Yeah, it's just it's just David's point about the five four loss being better than a one one draw with Fulham, and I I don't I don't understand that that point of view because um, football is a sport. It's not it's not an entertainment thing, and five four represents a match that is wildly out of control. There's there's no there's no method in this game. At least the one one versus Fulham, Spurs identified they had a plan. This is how we're going to play. We're going to attack with Reggie on down the left, and we're going to use him. And he created a great goal, and then. Our plan was to sit back, contain and counter. And Sun hits the post and then it falls apart when Lookman does an incredible bit of skill and Caballero jumps up like a salmon and heads it in. But that was a game plan which we had, which we executed, but unfortunately we were unable to execute it. But it was still a plan involved. The players had some kind of tactical idea of what they were doing. By four was was not that. Sometimes when Spurs go into this kind of haymaker um, tactic, we did it a few times under Pochettino and got away with it. Well, we'll just swing at you and you swing at us but we've got better we've got better punches and that's not football man the, the, the perfect game is nil-nil when nobody makes a mistake and everybody everybody does what they're supposed to do and I'm, I'm very happy that David enjoyed the game and he wasn't looking at his phone for, for the period of the match but mm. that's not what I want to see for football 4-3 under Ozzy Ardila is, is not football that's relegation football and that is not going to get us anywhere I'm, I'm glad people had a nice time and they enjoyed it but that's not the football I want to see and that wildness would make me go Mourinho out more than a 1-1 draw after we sit back and try and play in the counter. I sort of, I understand your sentiment, but I think you're applying it to the wrong game, if I'm honest, because uh, I don't think it was a 5-4 match. I just really don't. I, I think we were, I, th- I don't say this very often about Mourinho's Tottenham, but I thought we were unlucky. I've, I've really thought some of the goals that we conceded just wouldn't happen another day, like Lloris making crazy levels of errors of defence, you know, making... Dare I say individual errors? I mean, I've been against that phrase, but I felt like in this game it was uh, really was the case. And Everton scoring low percentage chances as well. You know, Richarlison's one stands out as as one that it doesn't go in many times out of ten. Um, and I, I felt like we created more than enough to win the game by two clear goals. Um, but I do understand your point, buddy, that sort of just completely taking the handbrake off and letting the car roll down the hill is a bad idea. I just don't think that is... I don't think that's how I would characterise the game. I, I thought mm. we got the balance okay. I really did. And we were just very, very unfortunate with the way it panned out. Um, it was... like At least we can say it was an exciting match, wasn't it? I mean, if you were a neutral watching that, you'd be coming away thinking, wow, I certainly got my money's worth there, you know? <laughs> I'm glad I paid my nine ninety nine for Now TV or whatever it is they charge these days. Like that is that is um, that's a that's a cup tie. It's just really frustrating when you lose it by the odd goal in a match like that. Um, and there was you know a lot of sort of hostility on social media after I, I got off social media pretty quickly afterwards to be honest because it wasn't very pleasant. Um, as we've gone through, we spoke about Winks quite a lot. I mean, Bardi and I spoke about Winks quite a lot in our segment, and then Nathan's mentioned him too. But we did have a question from Mohamed Surti who says, I have the inevitable Winks question. The Everton FA Cup defeat was when most gave up on him. My question is, given the depressed sellers market in the summer window, who who will even want to buy him, especially for a Daniel Levy price? Um, Bardi, do you think Winks still holds value at this point? And do you think he holds value to us? Uh, I, I think he definitely holds value to us. And I think he somehow, even despite that performance, he probably still has a small future with us as a as a squad as a squad option. I think maybe he'd need a different manager to to kind of guide him and get into getting back to the level he was at because there was a point where he, he still has his moments where he looks good and he's an England international. So I think he I think he has a future either with us or another kind of top half Premier League club. It's just he's he's not in a good place right now mentally. Mm. It's really weird to think now that City were interested him in, in him not that long mm. ago. And I do I do think he would be suited to City's style of play, a possessional model. Um and I um I might think I might have said it to you two, but I certainly said it in another WhatsApp group over the weekend that the way Gundogan plays for, for City is how I would have wanted Winks to play when he came out of the academy. That was the sort of role that I saw, that box-to-box role where he could arrive late into the box and do a bit of everything was the way I saw him developing. And Pochettino sort of turned him into a holding midfield player, which I don't think he's suited to. I think he's suited to it reasonably when we've got the ball, but he's really bad when we haven't got the ball. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to sort of know where Winks goes. Things aren't clicking for him at all at the moment in, in terms of his fit in the squad. And whenever he's been interviewed, he seemed very upset about the situation, about not playing. I don't know. Nathan, what do you reckon? 
he kind of was briefly going through a phase where he was getting game time for us again and Mourinho seemed interested in his skills and he played a handful of games. I don't know if that was like <laughs> that was like preparation for us moving in Dombele deeper. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he still holds. He still definitely holds value. There are still plenty of teams in the Premier League and abroad who who would benefit from his skills, um, which hopefully they recognise is the case. Uh, problem comes as you've already rightly pointed out is like or Mohammed has pointed out is like the price tag that Daniel Levy mm. puts on him. Um, because if we're looking for, you know, 25 million plus for him, we're not going to get that. I don't think mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We have to listen to what the market says about him. I mean, his career is not over. Gundogan has come, he's 30 years old and he's adapted. He's come back from various kind of career threatening injuries. There's, there's, there's still a future for Winks, but um, I don't know. Sometimes maybe maybe he needs a change. But the, it's not like he's dead and he might as well just retire now and give up football. <laughs> he's still got enough talent in there for, for to achieve something at Spurs. Nice, yeah. Let's let's end that conversation on a positive note. Um, mm. So we're going to run through a bunch of questions now. We've got we've got so many questions recently, and I'm, I do apologise for those who haven't had their question read out. I mean, what I tend to do is I reply to people and say, "Yeah, sure, we'll use that in the next podcast," <laughs> yeah. and then and then I do that like twenty times, and I realise I can't possibly read them all out. Uh, so this one is from Simbarash, who says, "Should Spurs hand the captain's armband to Huibier?" I understand Luis has been captain forever and is a World Cup champion, etc. But it's obvious who the general is on the pitch. And I feel he would take the job seriously off the pitch as well. And we've got the same question or a very similar question from Spursy Dave on Twitter. Uh, Nathan, do we just give the armband to Huey Bier now? I I, firstly, I don't think captaincy matters all that much in modern football. I think that, that it's an over-focus that doesn't matter. Uh, and secondly, and this isn't this isn't specific to the question asker, but more about the wider discussion about Lloris at the moment. Put some fucking respect on Hugo Lloris's name. He's still one of the best <laughs> keepers in the world. Oh my goodness! Subtweeting Bardi there. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> subtweeting everyone. You're all getting it. He's he's so good. He's so good. And Spurs conceding a whole bunch of chances in the last two games, and he didn't save enough of them. Is he's still he's still very very good. I <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. Ah, oh, come on, man. I love I have loved him and I have defended him and I must admit I think I'm with Bardi on this one though. I'm starting to see creaks. I'm starting to see a downward spiral. Um I don't want that to be the case. And look, if if we keep Lloris for another two years, I don't think it's gonna be a disaster at all. I really don't. I don't think it'll make a huge deal of difference either way. But I mean, either way, we need to start thinking about a replacement and I would be happy if we sort a replacement this summer, if I'm completely honest. Just to remove any doubt there might be. Uh, and and were he to leave, then absolutely, I think Huibier would be a prime candidate for sure. Okay, yeah. the captaincy role. I mean, that makes complete sense. He absolutely clearly is a leader on and off the pitch. The players respect him. Uh, he's very articulate. He's intelligent. He's a thinker. Uh, he's a little hot-headed. I can, like... I can see it. Sometimes you want your captain to be someone who can communicate with the referee in a very kind of clear-headed way. And I think Harry Kane's pretty good at that. Like, he mm. doesn't often get on the wrong side of referees. You need someone who can essentially manipulate the, the situation to your advantage as best as possible. And Huibert does get the red mist descend every now and again. Um, but in terms of like the in terms of like the imagery of what you want a captain to look like, I mean he's it, isn't he? He's he's everything you want a captain to look like. The only thing I would say is, and this is like, of course this is going to jar now when I say it. <laughs> is Huibier going to be like an absolute nailed on every week starter next season? I may, maybe he still will be, but maybe Oliver Skip comes in and shares game time with him. Uh, in which case, like, there's an argument that Kane's the captain. I mean, I'd say it's Jars now because at the moment, Huey Bear is such an integral member of the team and it's inconceivable that he wouldn't play every week. But with a different manager and with Oliver Skip back in the squad, maybe that changes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I absolutely endorse the idea of Huey Bear for captain. I've got no problem with that. I think Kane is also a very good captain yeah, candidate. Kane, <laughs> if, if, it, if it comes down to that to like help keep him at the club, then by sure, all means, yeah. give it to Harry Kane. Um, yeah, Bardi, any thoughts? Um, I agree with Nathan that captain is it's a bit overrated. Who's captain, leader, all this stuff. Um, yeah, Huyberg looks like a good captain because he charges around the pitch, tells people off and gets stuck <laughs> in. 
He does. But um, I think Kane should be captain because he leads by example. And I think that's why he gets it. And I do think Lloris perhaps is not finished, but he's definitely conceding goals, which he wouldn't normally concede. And that second goal that went through his legs was was technically faulty all the way. And even the penalty, which I, you can't criticise a goalkeeper for letting in the penalty, but that was very similar to Aubameyang's at Wembley a few years ago. And that one, he pushed away. This one, he he didn't. So I think this, even though he remains a top seven, top eight goalkeeper in the Premier League, he's not quite as good as he used to be. And if we have him next season, fine. But I think we definitely need to think, start thinking long-term pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talking about uh, players leaving, let's stick on that theme. And this is from uh, Greg Peff, who's one of our ex-subs. So Greg says, Luis, Lamella and Aurier's contracts are all up in 2022. For each one, are you A, signing them to a new contract, B, selling them for a cut price this summer, or C, running the contract down and letting them leave on a free? Um, so quickfire, Bardi, Luis. Um, letting him run his contract down. Nathan? Yeah, same. Let him run. Yeah, I think I'd go the same with Luis. Uh, Lamella, Bardi? Um, I'd probably let him run his contract down as well. I'll give him, give him another year. Oh, okay. Nathan? Mm. Selling for a cut price. Yeah, I'm also selling, regrettably, selling Lamella for a cut price just because we can't rely on him, I think, fitness-wise. And Bardi Aurier? Uh, Serge, I'd sell. Get that money, reinvest it. Yeah, Nathan? Sign to a new contract. No, just kidding. Release immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Release immediately. Wow. Okay. No, uh, obviously, Aurier uh, is sell not for a cut price this summer, for more than we would have got last summer, even though his contract is um, close <laughs> to, to expiring. I really think like his stock has risen this mm. year to a point where we'd actually get more than we would have done. Um, yeah, it, I just want to say one thing on Aurier. It's insane that all of these individual errors happening around our defence, but he's actually the most reliable defender we have. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's madness, but he's been okay. When he's at right back, I, I tend to feel a little bit better. Yeah, should have sold in January. We should have, but then we would. Uh, would have. Yeah, Nathan, right I hate. Back. I hate to admit that Nathan was absolutely right on that. Like he really was. Um, I mean, yeah. Don't say more, do I? Um, Fridges on fire said, "How many players in our squad would make the current top fours squads?" So uh, Kane, Son, and Dombly. Yobier, Regalon, and the Celso Atapush are the ones that uh, they mention. And they add, I can't think of any more. That therein lies the biggest problem. Can you name any others? So similarly, Adam TDM said, we were always said to be overachieving under Pochettino. Jose came in and said the squad wasn't good enough. I don't think he said, I think he said the squad was really good, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, mm. now, now he has added players. Are we over or underachieving for the quality of the group we have? Uh, Nathan, any immediate thoughts spring to mind? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about. Uh, firstly, Lo Celso is really good. He's just been injured for ages and we haven't seen him, so we've forgotten how brilliant he is. He's really definitely yeah. very good. Uh, I still think Adeverald is a very good defender, even though he's losing a lot of pace. I obviously still think Lloris is very good, but we don't need to revisit that conversation. Um, that's, you know, it's closing in on 11 players at least. The the overperforming, underperforming thing is, is interesting. And I, I spoke about this earlier in the season, is that I don't think that Mourinho can have a bunch of players be better than the their the some of their abilities anymore but i think maybe he can sort of match the abilities of the players at his disposal and perhaps um perhaps we are doing that and that's that is the problem that's sort of my compromise between this idea that Mourinho is be just simply being let down by a bunch of individuals who make a bunch of mistakes and the opposite extreme which is that Mourinho is letting the squad down is that well, it's both. I mean, it's fairly obviously both. I can't understand anyone who would see it otherwise as there is a bunch of defenders who have mistakes in them and uh, and the manager isn't working around that, isn't doing enough to support that, isn't doing enough to prevent that, isn't betting enough on the brilliance that we do have in our attack. Isn't so, Isn't supporting their development either. Like, isn't isn't helping them to get better as defenders. It seemed like uh, Rodent was going to come in and he had a game, he made a mistake. After the game, Mourinho said, look, he made a mistake, but he still had a really good game and he's still going to continue to be in my plans. And I came on this podcast and I said, I was really happy that Mourinho said that. I was really pleased he said that. And then we haven't seen Rodent since. Mm. That is weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's very weird, man. Because because he seems to have all of the attributes that Mourinho appreciates, by which I mean he's tall. Um, Bardi, uh, where do you stand on this? It, do, do you think we just don't have the players or is there something else at play? 
Um, I think a bit of both. I think Kane, Son, and the Bele, Hoiberg, Reguilón getting in pretty much every single team in the Premier League. Um, I just, I would like, I would like Jose just to just to end Dyer and Sanchez, <laughs> and maybe even Toby, but and then just play Tanganga and and um, Roden. I think if we go out of the Europa League in the next month or so, I think we I think we we need to see that. We need to see some some form of advancement in this squad because even though I think Sanchez has been unfairly, he's been hard, he's been hard done by on that goal. I don't think that goal was all on him, but um, I just think we need to see some movement away now from from these older players into a new kind of a new new plan, a new idea. And a Tanganga Roden centre back, if we end up out of the Europa League, is something that I'd be fully behind. I would too, but I just can't see it happening. He seems to only want to play Tanganga at fullback. Uh, I, I, I've said it many times before. I don't see Tanganga as a fullback, although I do think he he was probably our best performer against mm. Man City, arguably. I mean, he's a very good one-on-one defender, isn't he? He just is. Yeah. He's 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 a really talented defensive player. Um, I really want to see him do that at centre back. I'd I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to see like. Even against Wolfsburger, I'd love to see Roden and Tanganga play centre-back and just see what they can do together and see if they can build up a relationship and some chemistry uh, because it, it could be a godsend. Uh, but I, I don't I don't think Mourinho will play Tanganga at centre-back, to be honest. I think if you, if you were going to do that, he'd have done it already. And that one-on-one defending thing, if you look back at the, the City's second goal, Foden and, San, uh, Foden and um, Sterling just won the pass dire in the area. Yeah. He, do, he doesn't engage with them. He doesn't make, a, doesn't make an attempt to win the ball. I think, Sanchez, I think Sanchez goes in there and perhaps doesn't slide in and do something dramatic like that. But I think he guides them away from goal rather than Dyer, who just let them wander across the penalty spot. I can't believe in all of our city talk we failed to mention Sanchez's is, is like headfirst dive into the turf, uh, and the bit of that that I enjoyed the most is like I think he's trying to block the shot with his head at yeah, the end, yeah. like as he falls, he's like throws his head towards the ball. But you know, fair enough, like literally putting his body on the line. Uh, but great memes, really good memes. Well done, everyone. Well done, the internet. But do you know if you if you look at that goal? The Edison's got the ball and Sanchez is following Jesus forward, expecting perhaps the ball to go into Jesus, but the ball gets whacked long. Um, Gundogan has made a run from midfield, a beautiful run from midfield. No one's tracked him from midfield. Tanganga's let him go, Sissoko, everybody's let him go. And all of a sudden, Sanchez has now got to turn, spin, get back, sprint backwards as Gundogan was running at him. And it's just like, I don't know where everybody else is. It's just, he's on his own. And yes, he didn't, he didn't do great. He got a little bit shoved off the ball and it looks awful, but he was totally, totally exposed there. And it, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't his man. That's that's the problem with our defending at the moment. Our players and defenders just get isolated. We keep talking about oceans of oceans of space around our players or around opposition players, and that that's just what happened there. I can't believe that from one long ball, Gundogan had that much space. I mean, this this is something that City have literally done to us before Pep City. Mm. This is and this is something they do to a lot of teams. It's it's a really hard thing to count because you 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 press them high you press them to the keeper and so many teams you press them to their keeper and the keeper gets scared fluffs the ball sends it out for a throw in delivers it directly to your center back and so this is how you you learn to press the opposition you do it to city and he slices a, a perfect through ball for Gundogan it's it's a really hard thing to defend i don't think any individual really can be blamed other than that there are gaps in our pressing structure and that it's not drilled to the highest level but there you go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. agreed um just briefly going back to the the question from um fridges on fire i honestly think that when we see an uptick in in our form uh be that post Mourinho or otherwise i think we'll see some of our fringe players be good again and we'll be like oh maybe maybe they weren't so bad after all i i just think at the moment when we're playing you know was it t- is it 12 points from 12 matches, I think. Yeah. Like, worst run for 14 years since Martin Yol was manager. I mean, whilst that's happening, whilst we're seeing absolute turgid muck on the pitch, it's very easy to, to just shit on all your players and say, yeah, they're rubbish, get rid. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think they are all rubbish. I think there are some there's some good players there and certainly some good squad players. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I want... Ben Davis, Harry Winks, Mutis Soko, Lucas Moura to be in our first team because I really don't. But I don't think any of them are terrible squad players. I think we should move some of them on, but they can all do a job. 
I mean, the, the, the individuals that are letting down Mourinho are the same individuals that were letting down Pochettino. And I agree it's the manager's job to improve the players. So I think, but there is a little bit there that it's Son, Son Kane, Heuberg. Well, Heuberg wasn't this. We can't use him as an example. But Son and Kane were great under Pochettino. And they've been great under Mourinho for the large part. Uh, but the others who've been bad have stayed have stayed bad for, for the last 18 months, two years. Yeah, I mean, things tailed off horrifically for Pochettino. I mean, I, I think it's sometimes that's ignored. We, we were horrendous in mm. the league, certainly in the league. Um, OK, we're going to end on this one from Andrea Homstadt. Uh, this is a, a change of pace. I'm, in fact, I'm going to read. I don't often do this, but I'm going to read Andrea's whole message which blows a bit of smoke up our ass, and I always omit those bits because I think it's a little bit desperate to read praise of your own podcast. But it was a very nice, it was a very nice message. So here we go. This is what Andrea said: the future and the now. A couple of years ago, I heard that changes in the Atlantic Ocean currents due to human-caused climate change were going to affect winters in Britain and the US. You get colder, and we northeast quarter get warmer. It hurts to watch Spurs run around at zero degrees your temperature in the freezing rain in their skivvies. Our usage late at night your time Time. We appreciate GPM kickoffs. Here it won't be long until kids can't find a naturally frozen neighbourhood ice rink. Why am I telling you? Lots of readers and listeners think of you guys as friends or at least strangers we'd strike up a conversation with during half time. Maybe you could address climate change. Love the pod. Your approach makes me feel better about the bad spur stuff and increases my enjoyment of the good stuff. I thought that was a lovely message to receive. Really appreciated it. Uh, absolutely anyone who sees any of us at uh, the stadium should feel free to strike up a conversation at half time. That is completely absolutely fine like we are your friends in 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 that sense uh climate change i can't believe i just said we are your friends (laughs) (laughs) cut cut that bit out nathan no um (laughs) uh climate change nathan you want me to answer this i do okay uh capitalism is a system of growth growth for any other means and it has done a tremendous job of growing us massively over the centuries since we moved on from feudalism, or in the, at least in the most cases, moved on from feudalism. Uh, but there is only so far you can grow. In order to prevent the catastrophe that we are well on course for, we must abandon growth for sustenance. And the only way we can move away from growth to sustenance is to change our economic our greater uh, overarching economic model, which is to move away from capitalism to either a state-owned method for the purpose of prioritizing uh, sustainability or uh, a sort of truer uh, Leninist interpretation or even Cuban interpretation, which is a worker co-op focused uh, economy in which all business is localized. And so you have much, much less in the way of ferrying and um, lorrying and everything is done for the sake of sustaining the people on the planet and the planet itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, what you just described, described as utopia in, in my eyes, but um, not going to happen. So completely uh, unimaginable. Um, uh, there are things that can be done to to halt or s- at least slow down climate change, uh, and, and they are going to require um, nations, continents to communicate on the issue of climate change in a meaningful way and, and regulate. Uh, we as consumers need need a reason to buy something that's better for the environment uh we we, basically they need to make it more attractive for suppliers to provide goods which are environmentally sustainable so that we have no option but to to buy those goods rather than those which destroy our environment um and make it more attractive for us more generally to think in terms of other people and the environments we live within uh something i've i've noticed a lot in the area i live is the amount of litter uh, and litter isn't like a big deal as such uh, in the grand scheme of things. But it's a very simple thing to get right, isn't it? Like you just you teach people to respect and care for their local environment and it changes and shapes their whole outlook on, on the world. And, you know, if I as a child saw a picture of like a, a hedgehog being strangled by um, a, a bit of pe- food packaging... I would be really upset by that and I would not want to litter. And I just don't understand like what's gone wrong between then and now for, for many people. I think it's education, basically. We, we need to educate better and early years around environmental sustainability. And to be honest, I think we are. I think like the, the younger generations get it, uh, completely get it. Yeah, um, Bardi, how do you feel about all this? 
Uh, I try my best to live as green as possible. You do actually. You really do. I've, we, like, you've changed your lifestyle a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah, we um we don't eat meat that often. Well, we eat it once a week at the moment because my dad comes round. We invite my dad <laughs> round for dinner, and I can't. If I serve him up a bit of tofu, he will <laughs> just he'll stop coming round. So we eat meat once a week when he comes round. But otherwise, we try and live as plant based as possible. We take our jars and stuff to the shop to refill them full of oats and lentils and that kind of stuff. Don't use plastic bottles. Don't do this. Don't do that. We try our best. And then sometimes you go to a shop and you just see someone using ten plastic bags, and you're just like, why? what am i doing here i'm not doing i'm not helping anything but i try as much as i can i try mm. to do that i would love to get an electric car but they're bloody expensive so. yeah yeah well this is what i mean this is what i mean if it was if it was if it was made easier for people to mm. access environmentally sustainable goods and commodities then it would make life a lot better for everyone yep. i would love an electric car as well i'd like to not have to use a car quite frankly i'd like to have public transport that is yep. accessible for me from where i live but it's not um I, I'm. You've just made me realise how much I've missed my allotment this year in in pandemic mm. year. Like the, the year I had beforehand of of growing my own fruit and vegetables and you know not living off them, but supplementing my diet with my homegrown veg. It was so great. I just felt such like it really made me appreciate um, the environment and the earth so much more. I loved it. I loved it so much, and I really miss it. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 